0: From the Japan Times, this is Deep Dive, a podcast exploring the most important stories and trends in Japan. I'm Corey Baird. And I'm Oscar Boyd. And this week, the bubble era. In the 1980s and 90s, Japan experienced one of history's greatest economic bubbles. Fast cars, designer clothes, and expensive nights out. Japan had money and lots of it. Then the bubble burst leading to a hangover that the country has been unable to shake until this day. Earlier this year, staff writer Alex Martin profiled Sachihiko Kawamata, a real estate tycoon who became one of the country's richest citizens during the period. But like many others, he saw his fortunes evaporate as the economy spiraled out of control. Alex, why did you choose Kawamata for your story?
1: Thanks, Corey, and uh, thanks, Oscar, uh, for having me. Well, I grew up in Tokyo uh, in the 1980s, and uh, during the nineteen late 90s and the 1990s, Kawamata had uh, a commercial um, that aired frequently on TV. Uh, he was uh, the first guy to introduce uh, weekly rental apartments in Japan, uh, and the company went by the name of uh, Tsukasa no Manson, Tsukasa's Weekly Mansion, and it had a very uh, uh, interesting jingle uh, that went like this. <laughs> and the, everybody knew about this. The kids would singing at school. We didn't really know what you know, the commercial was about at the time, but uh, it just left a very strong impression.
2: First of all, I want to congratulate you on your marvelous singing voice. <laughs> thank Where you. Where did thank that you. Come from? That was beautiful. <laughs> so, I mean, how big a company are we talking? How rich did this man become? So
1: just to sort of explain a little backstory before we go into that. So, um, the problem was, is, you know, during, as the economy sort of evolved, these nice little posh apartment buildings started, uh, coming up. And the problem with his, uh, property was it was all these wooden sort of small apartment buildings and, He couldn't find tenants, so he decided to rent them out on a weekly basis. And this is, you know, I think in Japan the first time this weekly uh, apartment rental business uh, came in.
2: So Alex, you wrote in your piece that at one point he received a 960 million yen loan from a bank. Um, And this was fairly early during his career, right? What actually led him to that point? Right, so as he was
1: expanding his uh, weekly uh, apartment rental business... Um, at the same time, uh, Japan was going through this economic boom. Uh, the land prices were going up. Uh, at the same time, uh, buildings were popping up everywhere in Japan, especially in Tokyo, where he was uh, living and doing his business. Um, and you know, he was gradually getting to be known as this sort of entrepreneur who introduced this new kind of system, um, business system, or you know, business uh, model into, into Japan. So he was approached by a, this, uh, a big bank, um, I mentioned the bank's name in the story, so if you can read it you'll find out, but uh, they basically came and said like, you know, hey, um, we know you, I know, we know you're doing your business, um, we're about to be building this uh, nice mansion uh, in the very expensive part of Tokyo, why don't we loan you 960 million yen, and we'll loan the entire amount, um, and why don't you be the owner? Because I'm sure, you know, your business is going fine. I'm sure you'll be able to return the money eventually, et cetera, et cetera. And at this point, he was, his business was expanding, but not to the point where he would be sort of investing this you know, such a huge amount of money. So he discussed with his mother, he's like, you know, are we really going to do this? You know, are we really sure? And, you know, I think they decided in the end that, you know, what the hell, you know, they're going to loan us everything. Why not? So they did it. The building, uh, I think, commenced construction uh, after that. It took about a year to be uh, finished. And by the time it finished, I think it was valued at uh, 1.8 billion yen, which is uh, roughly twice the uh, value it initially had. And is this a, a unique story of the bubble era? No, this happened everywhere. It's, it's a very common sort of theme that a lot of Japanese loves to return to because it's the booming days when they were sort of flashing 10,000 yen bills to taxis and uh, land prices were going up. It's also a horror story too because I know people who uh, bought uh, apartment uh, rooms, uh, mansion rooms back in the day, and after the bubble popped, you know the value was sort of cut by half or even more,
2: so it's a huge loss. But they line.
0: still had those loans that they had to right, pay back. Right, exactly, exactly. So...
2: The bubble pops. Everything goes downhill. Right. Where's he at now? When I interviewed
1: him uh, and back in June, he was living out of uh, capsule hotels and internet cafes in Okachimachi. This is an area near Ueno, very sort of uh, working class. Uh, during the day, he would uh, stay in a uh, rental office that his friend allowed him to uh, stay in. Um, basically, close to being a homeless person, I would say. He was living off of off his pension. Uh, he lost everything he had. Um, his, I think his wife and his kids left him, he's seven years old. Um, his health is not, uh, too great, um, but he seems to be, uh, somehow surviving. What
0: does that do to a man going from the top of his game, being one of the richest men in Tokyo, mm-hmm. and now basically, as you said, he's lost it all? His story, um, it doesn't
1: end after the, uh, the bubble pops. Um, since he was quite famous, you know, even me, I remember his, uh, face, and um, you know, maybe not his name, but I remember that jingle, the commercial. He had some people who you know who was willing to sort of uh, be his sponsors. So he went up to, uh, to the Tohoku region, uh, to a small town in Fukushima Prefecture, and this was a typical Japanese rural town that was having this issues where you know all their residents are graying, old timers. All the young kids are you know leaving for the cities. What are we to do? So. Kawamata came in and said, like, okay, I'm going to revitalize this time. I'm, I'm going to get volunteers in, and I'm going to start building new, you know, nicer places that we can have actually use to attract younger kids, et cetera, et cetera. And he got this whole uh, regional revitalization thing going, but then 2011, March 11, the huge tsunami and the earthquake that hit the Tohoku region erupted, and uh, Fukushima, as the uh, I think I would, you know, everybody in the world knows at this point had this uh, triple nuclear disaster.
0: So he was kind of a guy that had gotten hit by the natural disaster of the Japan's bubble and this, you know, other disaster in the total. Exactly. This is
1: this is one tragic guy in that sense. You know, he's first, you know, doomed by the bubble's collapse. He had so much property and now is so much debt. And then, you know, he somehow survived everything, he was penniless, and now he's uh, hit by the, uh, the earthquake and the tsunami disaster, which basically wiped out any business he was doing in Fukushima because nobody wanted to go there anymore. The place itself was stigmatized, especially in 2011, uh, when the nuclear disaster happened, um, as many of you might recall. So he was uh, back on his own again, living in Tokyo, and trying to plot a
0: comeback. Let's talk about when the bubble actually popped and when, uh, I guess, those dreams turned into a nightmare, as you said.
1: So the uh, late 1980s saw uh, land prices skyrocket to an unnatural level, um, and the government uh, noticed that and decided to come in to regulate uh so uh, I think the Bank of Japan began to raise interest rates um, and uh, regulations were introduced to sort of uh, cap the uh, the price of land prices and these combinations of moves uh, led to the popping of the uh, stock market as well as the, uh, the real estate price bubble. Um, so what we see from there uh, starting from 1990 onwards is a downward spiral where uh, land prices uh, kept on sinking while the, uh, the Nikkei stock average also kept on sinking. Um, and a sense of panic began to set in after Sanyo Securities defaulted in 1997, followed by the uh, the fall of the Hokkaido Takushoku Bank, and perhaps uh, most significantly, Yamaiji Securities, uh, which at the time was Japan's number four brokerage. A uh, hundred-year-old company, very well known. And when this happened, everybody was, oh man, what's going on, right? And that, that's <laughs> the
0: famous picture of the CEO from that company kind of crying. Right, right? He's right. like bawling and, and apologizing for for popping the bubble or for for failing?
1: Exactly, exactly. So all these banks and security firms were going down. And uh, this was a very um, uh,
2: dire time for uh, Japan's corporate world. I mean, that's the kind of broader picture, but when did disaster really strike for Kawamata? Well, he,
1: he somehow survived the bubbles popping. Um, his business downsized. Uh, the number of uh, rooms he was managing gradually decreased. But he, some, he had a steady revenue stream, so he was uh, somehow surviving. Um, then uh, during the 1990s, uh, I believe the Lehman Brothers came in, and uh, they offered to shoulder uh, his debt. You know, he still had like a huge pile of debt that he owed to dozens of banks. Um, How
0: much was that at one point?
1: At one point, he had a huge pile of debt. He owed uh, 50 banks around 150 billion yen. Um, But he could somehow get by because he had a revenue stream of around 6 billion yen in annual sales. Um, So his situation was somewhat different from other real estate companies that simply bought and sold. Um, He had a revenue stream. So he he was able to avoid bankruptcy, um, at least towards the beginning. And then the Lehman Brothers came into Japan, and they offered to shoulder his debt in return for taking over operations of his short-state apartment business. And uh, that really downsized his business. I think he was left with around 30 employees and uh, 10 apartment buildings he leased out as small offices.
2: Moving on beyond the bubble, what are some of the broader issues that you explored within your piece?
1: Right, so towards the uh, late 1990s when uh, the slew of uh, banks and uh, security firms went down, I think people began realizing that uh, Japan's lifetime employment system uh, may not be Uh, something they could uh, completely rely on. Uh, The income levels, um, the income gap, I guess, between the the rich and the poor began to expand. And so this was a time when Japan's uh, corporate stability uh, was essentially uh, damaged uh, quite a bit. So one of the people I interviewed um, was uh, Makoto Yuasa, Is a very famous social activist. Um, He began uh, working in 1995 when he started to help homeless people in Shibuya, which is a major shopping district, uh, commercial district in Tokyo. And uh, he told me that, you know, back in 1995, uh, he would find maybe 100 homeless people uh, in the area. Uh, But by 1999, uh, he said uh, there were maybe 600. And he said this was happening all over in Japan. Uh, I think he told me that he felt like, you know, the bottom was sort of, coming off of the world, um, was a strange time for him. I also interviewed a guy called uh, Yuki Yoshida. He's a writer, uh, 37 years old. He graduated from uh, the prestigious Waseda University um, in uh, early 2000s. Um, this was also uh, a, a time known as the employment ice age, when uh, corporations, they limited the number of uh, new graduates they could hire uh, because, for various reasons, uh, primarily because they can't, they, they, w- they weren't able to afford them <laughs> to start with. Um, and uh, what happened to Yuki Yoshida is that he, uh, I think, the first year out of college, he applied to sixty firms or so, and he got rejected by each, every one of them. The second year, he uh, tried another 20 firms or so and uh, all of them rejected him again. So in total, he was was rejected by 80 firms, yes. (laughs) Some dedication to Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So he basically gave up uh, uh, going for a white-collar job and uh, he became a writer. Thank God it's successful, but for a lot of people, um, you know, not not being able to, able to find a steady employment right out of college in Japan is a very troublesome situation. So you just
0: mentioned the word success during that period, where people's perceptions of success changed. So this
1: is a period known in uh, Japan as the last decade or the last two decades, um, starting with the uh, the popping of the bubble, when uh, Japan's been mired in a deflationary spiral. So uh, prices would go down, um, people's expectations for their own career and uh, possibly happiness. Uh, went uh, went through a drastic change. Um, for example, during the bubble era, you would want a Ferrari or, you know, you would want to be uh, hanging out in sort of expensive clubs in Ginza with, you know, a beautiful woman. And that would be, you know, a, a typical sort of uh, maybe an accomplishable dream for a Japanese corporate salaryman. But during the uh, the this uh, last decade or last two decades, during the deflation era in Japan, people's expectations for, you know, what they could achieve was, was quite different, you know, I think uh, there's numerous statistics out there where, you know, people are not too interested in buying cars anymore, for example. That used to be a status symbol, but they just can't afford it anymore, and there's no really point in buying cars anymore, so they're, they're not interested in cars, I think. Uh, and, and this is just one example, but, you know, the, there were numerous things, lifestyle habits, et cetera, that changed during this period, and what basically happened is that Japan sort of woke up to poverty, right? So I mean poverty existed obviously after the war when Japan was in ashes, but during the economic uh, bubble days in the 1970s and 1980s, people didn't really think about poverty as a, as a thing that really happened to them, but uh, that started to change. Um, uh, the people, number of people living in poverty or under the poverty line gradually grew, and I think there, a general understanding towards the situation also uh, began to happen. Um, two- so, so
0: maybe before the bubble, being homeless was seen as you're kind of being lazy. And then after the bubble, it was not more understandable. But Right. right it turned and into you-
1: something that could
2: happen to yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, became much more real, I would think. Growing up during the bubble period, how does your generation feel about its burst? Uh, do you have aspiring dreams for Ferraris and beautiful women in Ginza bars? Or has that no, changed for no. you too?
1: <laughs> I, I enjoy my uh, uh, daily... Uh, can or two of the uh, the canned Chuhai drinks I buy at convenience stores. You know, I like drinking in parks because it's all right to drink outside in Japan. It's much cheaper. Than <laughs> <doing> that. <laughs> and that's and that's
0: a departure from your parents' generation. I perhaps? think so.
1: I think so. Um, there's a huge difference between. And my father's American, my mother's Japanese, so maybe there's a different time lag in terms of uh, you know the U.S. economic, uh, you know, booming in years in Japan. But overall, I would think, you know, parents from my generation, those in their 60s or 70s, the world they saw back then is a completely different world from what we're experiencing right now.
2: In your story, you mentioned the last decade. Can you tell me a bit more about that?
1: Right, so uh, the last decade or the last 10 years is a, uh, a period of economic stagnation in Japan following the, uh, the asset price bubble's collapse in the late nineteen. 19- I mean, sorry, the, the early 1990s. Um, initially, the term referred to the years from 1991 to around 2000, um, but recently they've sort of redefined the uh, the period to include another 10 years from 2001 to around 2010. Uh, we call it the last two decades, or the last 20 years, in Japanese, Ushinawareta nijunen. And this is basically a period of economic decline that broadly impacted you know, the entire Japanese economy, uh, and even society, I would believe. Um, And people still refer to it, you know, uh, quite commonly as, you know, basically a very dark period in Japanese economy.
2: Well, thank you very much, Alex, for joining us in the studio today. Alex's full article on The Bubble can be found online at www.japantimes.co.jp, where you can also find all the latest in-depth news, lifestyle, culture and sports from Japan and beyond. Deep Dive this week was hosted by me, Oscar Boyd, and Corey Bird. You can find more episodes on all major podcasting platforms, including iTunes, Spotify,
0: and Stitcher. Please do us a huge favor and subscribe. And if you like the podcast, please give us a five-star rating. If you don't like the podcast, just please don't rate it. And uh, thank you for listening and see you next time.
1: And I'd had a very uh, uh, interesting jingle uh, that went like this. Tsukasa